All right. Good morning. We are so glad you guys came in while we were. I, when I looked up, I said, Judy, we need some more people. Y'all came. Thank you for coming today. You could have chosen like a zillion churches to be worshiping in today, but you chose Dorisville, and we're just really glad. I'm very grateful for the worship time today. It was just incredible. Very grateful for the song that Linda just sang. Never heard that one before. Never heard it before. And I love that when it's fresh and you like that. Would you just repeat this after me? I am a child of God. In that, you just let that soak in how powerful that is. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you've experienced His grace, if you have turned from your sin to choose to follow Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. Don't let Satan tell you anything differently. And then I'm in studying this morning. It's like five minutes after six or something like that. And I'm hearing music come from the bedroom. I'm in my study and Judy's in the bedroom and she's doing her thing and I'm doing my thing. And her thing involved music this morning. And I said, what in the world are you listening to this early in the morning? And she was listening to a song that she had found on the internet. And, uh, it's, and it said these words, when Jesus... Now, actually, I'm going to say it exactly like it. It was at the gospel music um, awards show. Um, and, and, and here's what it said. When Jesus say yes... Ain't nobody say no. When Come on now, come on. When Jesus say yes, ain't nobody going to say no or nobody can say no. Say amen to that. I'm telling you what, we need to change our mentality and understand who we are in Christ. Especially with the topic that we have to talk about today. Now I realize, and, and y'all get to know, I'm, I'm 61 now, and I've definitely experienced that. I, I feel, by the way, I feel like I'm 35, so it's okay, it's cool. In fact, y'all weren't there one night, but I wore this shirt, and you can't see it in the back, so I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, Acts 1-8 Challenge. And so uh, Jim Collins was there that night, I think it was a Sunday night, and I wore this shirt, and he said, um, so you're telling that, are you, are you wearing that shirt for a particular reason? I said, well, yeah, you know what it says. He said, you mean you act, you act 18? Yeah. yeah, come on with it. Come on now. So uh, I may be 61, I'm still 35, but I do get forgetful. I do get forgetful. And you know, last week, of course, I'm not the only one because I'm fixing to say, you probably remember what I preached last week. And you're going, what did he preach last week? Let me think now. I'm sure it was in the Bible. I, I know, let me guess, I got 50% chance. Old Testament, New Testament, you know, you, you rest around. But we talked about honoring our moms and our dads. And we talked about how important that was. And then we went to Colossians in chapter 3. And we talked about how the students, how children should obey their mom and dad. And we really kind of just, you know, talked directly to them for a few moments. And then we talked to the dads and the moms for a few minutes. But here's what I forgot. You know, I really forgot. This is so big. We've got to say it over and over again. Is the lens by which we are seeing the Ten Commandments. We're taking this wonderful ancient truth that God gave. Now, don't ever forget this, that God gave to his people. The Ten Commandments was not given to a lost world. It was given to the people of God, and it was given not to get them in, but because they were in. Not to get them in. You don't keep the ten to get in, but because you are in, because you are a child of God. And so, and so when you when you get that perspective, okay, when you get that, and then you see that second lens of you know, when Jesus said, Matthew 22, he said, you know, I've been asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that was cool. But then he said, and then he said these words. Then he says, you know, there's no greater commandment. All the law, and the way he put it, all the law hinges on these two. 
In other words, they're inseparable and they are absolutely huge. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. Another verse he says strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And I like, what a, what a bad time to forget that because when you talk about children obey your parents or students obey your parents, that ties right in. Why? Because you love God, okay, and you love your mom and dad as yourself. I mean, it fits right in. Dad, why should you not exasperate your kids? Why should you not frustrate your kids? Because you love God and you want to love your children as yourself. So it was really just a huge bad time to forget that, and I didn't want to forget it this week. I want us to understand because it's just so big that we understand we love God, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, have you ever wondered this question? So, so why did God put like love, you know, you know, love me with your heart first? Because in our hearts are the passion. It's, it's our passion. You know, uh, a teacher I was listening to this week, you know, asked the question, you remember the time when you wanted to serve God? You know, you didn't do God because you had to. You just really wanted to do God. And that really struck with me. That, and, and, and again, a, a heart that is, that is passionate with God will serve God passionately. But here's what her point was. It was a female. Here, here was her point that was really, really strong, so strong. Here's what she said. She said, you know, we, it's not that we don't love our neighbors as ourselves. She said, probably part of the problem, and I've said this before, part of the problem is, is that we don't like ourselves. Most of the time, you know, again, that's why I had you say those words. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. But so often we see ourselves as failures. Um, we see ourselves imploding in this world. And we see ourselves as a bunch of losers. You know, we see, that's how we see ourselves. And that is not, that is not, that is not how God sees you. He sees you as incredibly, incredibly valuable. And just in case you ever forget, that valuable. That valuable. So much, he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die that you could come in a relationship with him. And there is no way to put a, a monetary value on that kind of love. So it's not that we don't love our neighbors ourselves. It's just that we love them like we love ourselves. And that's not very well. And then, and then she went on to say something I thought was very, very powerful. She went on to say that how that when we love God with that toxic heart, with that broken heart, it skews our vision of God. We start seeing God in a toxic way. And we start seeing God in a toxic way. When we see God through the lens of our broken heart, he becomes broken. Sometimes he becomes the source of that broken heart. And we think he becomes the source of a toxic heart. So we've got to be very, very careful. In fact, the wisest guy in the world said, I think it's Proverbs 4.23. He said, guard your heart above everything else. <laughs> Have you noticed these extremes? You know, Jesus said, well, here's the most important command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second one's equally like it. Love your neighbor. And then Solomon comes along and says, now listen, guard your heart above everything else. Because out of it are the issues of life. Out of it springs our vision, our values, who we are in life. Guard your heart. You know, do any of y'all remember Steve Irwin? Yeah, a couple of your hands. Yeah, yeah. He was the crocodile hunter. 
He had more energy. He must have drank a lot of coffee. But he was on, he was a TV personality, and he did crazy things with animals. He really wasn't an expert with animals, but he just did crazy things like hunting down crocodiles and everything else, snakes and all that. And then on September um, the 4th, 2006, um, he died. And he died. And here's how he died. He was out in a boat, and they were supposed to be shooting a certain you know, show. And because of the weather, they couldn't shoot that particular show. So he, kind of a hyper guy, didn't know how to hold still. And so he told his cameraman, hey, get in, the, get in the, the dingy with me and let's just do something. So they take off across the water. And, and again, they're not in even deep water. And, and he gets near the shore, really, not too far off. And they spot this giant manta ray, eight feet across. Now, just ponder that. If you have eight-foot ceilings in your house, from floor to ceiling, that big. So they decided to take pictures, do a little bit of a shoot for, on, with the manta ray. And they made a big point. The guy was telling the story, who was the cameraman, made a big point to say that you know, manta rays are not aggressive. In fact, they will run from you. So they jump into the water and they get different scenes and different shots and all of that. And he said, we were really done. And so we, we talked about, as the closing shots were made, he would get um, to the front, to the side, and Steve would come up at the back. Steve Irwin would come up the back. And then the manta ray would get scared and take off. Not on that day. And not with that manta ray. This man who knew animals backwards and forwards, on that day and on that manta ray, misjudged, miscalculated. And the manta ray, instead of taking off, started attacking. He has a large, about a foot long barb out, not the end of his tail, about the middle of his tail. And he starts doing this. And, of course, Steve was right there and got his heart pierced. Um, they thought maybe it's just a lung and they thought it was going to maybe make it. But it wasn't. It was in the heart in just a few minutes. Steve Irwin was dead. But on that day with that manta ray, he just made a mistake. He made a misjudgment. He didn't guard his heart. And literally, in that case, he died from a pierced heart. That can help him with us. That can happen with us. And as we look at the scriptures that we're going to look at today, you know, we're going to Exodus chapter 20, just briefly, really, because we're going to jump to the New Testament. But when we look at Exodus 20, 13, 14, and 15, you know, the law of God says, you know, you shall not steal, you shouldn't commit adultery, and you shouldn't murder. Three things. In fact, it's kind of funny because you read those, and it's kind of like the evening news. If you took away adultery um, and murder and larceny, they wouldn't have a news program. I mean, if you watch the news, you know, you know it's just a bunch of negative stuff, negative stuff, negative stuff. And so, so you see this. And I said to myself, I don't know if you all know or not, but I try to make the videos every week. And I went on the internet, and I said, oh, this will be an easy one. And so I typed in stealing, and a few things came up. Nothing, really nothing. Then I typed in larceny, and the images were just so dark. And then, of course, I looked at adultery, and the images were so dark. And I, and I realized, I mean, I, I had to hunt for those pictures. Because when you look at do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Those are such dark topics. And if we're not careful, as people of God, if our heart 
is not guarded. If we allow our heart to get toxic with the things of the world, if we allow our hearts to get toxic with us and not God and not others, we can very, very, very easily find ourselves in the midst of murder, adultery, and stealing. It's huge. It's huge. So what we want to do is, because I really want this to come home to you, I, I really don't want this to be, well, Dwayne, good news, I'm not going to go out and shoot someone. Okay? And most of you would say today, and I'm not going to commit adultery either. Now, I may steal a salt shaker, but I'm not going to commit larceny. And I want to go to the New Testament now and just take a look at what Jesus said about murder, adultery, and stealing. And I want you to see how careful he was with this. And I want us to leave the bottom line to be with. We understand we have got to guard our hearts. Because these three things really are bigger than we think in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves on the national news in our world. Not really, but in our world. Trying to explain how a man array pierced our hearts. How did it happen to me is my point. I thought I never would. And, and we're going to do this. Then if you'll let me, well actually if you'll let me or not, you can come or not come. Next week we're going to look at a classic example of this in a biblical character next week. And then the third week we're going to look at, this is kind of like our little side trip. And then we're going to look at how do I get out of this mess that I found myself in? So I think the next three weeks can going to be very valuable. Still in Ten Commandments, still looking. But this week, this still kill thing, we're going to give three weeks to. It's that important. So let's jump to the New Testament. What do you say? Let, let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Actually, I think we're going to start in, in 9. This is just so big. It's so cool how that Jesus gives us a great parallel with the Ten Commandments. Okay? So here we go. First off, he says this. I am the door. I am the door. And the picture that he's painting is that of a sheep enclosure. This is not like at home. This is something that they would do out in the field. They would get branches and all these things. And they would make an enclosure for the sheep. And the sheep door would be one. There would be one opening. And the shepherd would stand in that opening. And outside of this enclosure would be pasture and all that. So Jesus says, now watch. Jesus says, I am the door. And amen for that. He is the door. Listen, he is your door to eternal life. If you're here today and you're kind of like, you know, uh, I heard church may be popular again. Or someone promised to buy my lunch. Or my wife said it was the, you know, it was the Sunday I have to go. So I got up and went. I didn't want to be an example, that example for my kids. Why ever you're here and you haven't been talking about God for a long time. I got good news for you. That Jesus is your door, not church, not religion, not being good enough, not quitting this or starting that. Your door to eternal life, your door uh, to a relationship with a very living God is Jesus Christ. Again, we've said it over and we've said it over and over again. There is no giant scale where God says, you know, if you do good enough, I'll let you in. Every other religion says that, but not Christianity. Christianity is based on the amazing grace of God where the Bible said that the wages of sin was death and Jesus Christ died on the cross. And then it says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ 
our Lord. So the good news is, Jesus is your door today to eternal life. And he's your door to a purposeful and abundant life. That is just great news. He doesn't just save us and say, good luck, hope you make it. He empowers us to live this abundant life. But listen, listen, can I just throw something out free? Quit listening to the lies. Those of you who are Jesus followers, quit listening to the lies of Satan. Satan says, you're not worthy in all this. Go back to it. I am a child of God. I am blood-bought. I am redeemed. God is proud to call me his child. I am not some scrap lumber on a heap. I am not a loser. I am a winner because of Jesus Christ. That is your birthright. That is your birthright. You may not be the richest guy in town. I'm not one of those health and wealth and prosperity gospel preachers. I'm just not. I don't believe it's biblical. I'm scriptural. But you can walk out today saying, I'm a child of God. And God does not hang his head. God does not cross his arms. God does not sigh. He loved you so much he sent his son Jesus Christ. And he is proud to call you his child. Take that home today. Quit listening to the liar. Quit listening to the liar. So he goes further. He says, I am the door. I'm the door to eternal life, and I'm the door to a purposeful and abundant life. He goes on and says this. He will, if, if, anyone, if anyone enters by me, if anyone comes in by me to the sheepfold, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I love this because it shows that same, again, that same song talked about the freedom we have in Christ. The, the, sheep, you know, the sheep enclosure provided two things. It, it was a, a site of provision. It was a site of protection. A site of provision and a site of protection. So Jesus is standing at the door and the shepherd would step aside and the sheep could go outside the enclosure and guess what was there? Pasture. Pasture. Sheep, sheep food. Grass. In human terms, pecan pie and fried chicken. And they would go there. But at any time, at any time, if the sheep felt threatened, all they had to do is walk right past the shepherd, back into the enclosure, and they were protected. They had provision, and they had protection. And they could go in, Jesus said, they could go in and out and find pasture. That's a beautiful picture of what God's done for us. Oh, let me just stop again. I'm always afraid someone is here today, and you don't get it, you don't understand. This is not bondage. This is freedom. This is freedom. And the word of God is living. It's powerful and alive. And God gave us this blessed word as he shows himself to us through his word that we may experience the abundant life and the free life. Not bondage. Religion is bondage. I know what you've heard. I know what you've heard about, about church and stuff. You said, Dwayne, it sounds like bondage to me. That's because most churches don't understand God's grace. They don't understand the freedom They think God gave them law to lock them up, to bind them up. No. God gave us his word that we might be free. Free. Now, then he says these words. He says, the thief. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. That is Satan's job description. Now, in the the literal context... Believe it or not, Jesus was talking about, in the immediate context, the religious leaders of the day. They, they somehow saw it their job as religious leaders to put the people in bondage and to steal, to kill, and destroy. In the bigger picture, though, he is definitely talking about Satan. And Satan wants to come into the lives, your lives, as believers. He wants to steal. 
He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. There are so many believers in Jesus Christ today who, again, are not enjoying the abundant life because they have believed the lies of Satan. And let me just tell you something. When you start believing the lies of Satan, you start walking through the doors of Satan, and that's when you end up and saying, how did I get here? When you start listening to Satan, you start following Satan, and you start going, why, how did I get here? But Jesus said this. Unlike the thief, I have come... Now, you, if you probably... This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. If you don't have this one memorized, you ought to have it. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Would you say it with me, please? More abundantly. Say it with me. More abundantly. That's what Jesus came to give you, an abundant life. Now, that's not dollars. It may be dollars, but it's not dollars. It's peace. It's security. It's knowing that you've got all these songs, that your father is in control, that you're not a series of accidents and consequences of your circumstances, that your father is in control. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So I thought it would be interesting then to look at what Jesus said about steal, kill, and destroy. Did he have much to say about this? Now, here's, what, here's what's totally interesting. I, I even mentioned this to Dave this week, I think. I said, you know, I started looking. You know, it wasn't hard to find one about adultery. And it wasn't hard to find, you know, about, about the other one, the, the other part. But it was really hard to find out something about stealing. I, I, I kept reading the Sermon on the Mount going through... There's got to be one on stealing. And there wasn't. That's not Jesus condoning stealing. It's just he didn't address it. But here's what's interesting. The, The few times, the two or three times, that Jesus mentions thieves, robbery, and the like, it involves the religious leaders. In fact, he said, he said in John 10, he said, everyone who's come before me, talking about the religious leaders, everyone who's come before me are thieves and robbers. That's amazing. And I said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. That should tell us something. That we need to be very careful to guard our heart. Because in our, I'm going to fix and make a word up, in our religiosity, try that one after lunch. In our ability, in our desire to be religious, we can become thieves and robbers. How, Dwayne? Well, if you look with me on your sermon sheet or in your Bible, in Matthew 21, verse 12. We, we, taught, this on a, we taught this on a Sunday night not too long ago. The Bible says Jesus went to the temple of God. And, and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, I don't have time today. I won't take time and can't take time today. But, but the picture is this. This is not about you have a, a music guy come in and, and they want to sell CDs and you shouldn't sell CDs in the church. You know, I, I shared with them at Cobden. We had this big, long business meeting one night because somebody actually wanted to put a soda machine on church property. And wasn't that buying and selling? And it doesn't bobble. No, no, no. These guys were thieves and robbers. They would charge exorbitant prices for the sacrifices. They would charge an exchange fee for the temple money to pay the temple tax. And they would charge from taking the Roman money, which wasn't, you wouldn't use, to convert it to the Hebrew shekel. 
So they were ripping. It'd be kind of like Brent. Brent, it's not if you had a soda machine. It's if you charged $5 for the sodas. Okay? That, that, that would be it. So, so these people had turned church into something that profited them. We become thieves and robbers of God's stuff when we make it all about us. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. We, we honestly, listen, listen. There's too many in the church of God today. Notice I said the church of God, not necessarily this church, but the church of God who think because you give money to the church, you own the church. You don't own the church. The church belongs to God Almighty. No preacher owns the church. No deacon owns the church. No trustee owns the church. I don't care how long you've been a member. This church belongs to God. This church belongs to God. we got to remember that. And when we start saying, if we think that, again, the church has to be what we want it to be, we're thieves and robbers. We're thieves and robbers. So these guys had turned it into something. It's all about me. It's not about God. It's not about them. It's about me. So we need to be careful because an unguarded heart. Oh, this is good. An unguarded heart that steals becomes a selfish heart. A selfish heart. Beware of the unguarded heart that steals and turns into a selfish heart. Now, I want you to see what Jesus does. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. In other words, church should be a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. And it's an epidemic across America where we've taken what God intended the church to be and make it what we want to be. And Jesus says you're a bunch of Thieves and robbers when you do that. This society doesn't need private clubs sitting on corners. It needs, come on now, it needs a bunch of hospitals where sick and wounded people can come and hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can be loved without being judged. They can walk in and find out that God loves them. How much? They send son Jesus Christ to die. Let's leave the clubs to the country clubs. But the church should not be a country club. It should be a hospital where sick and wounded people can come. Be careful. Be careful. I love this. Look at verse 14. So the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. That's what it's all about. I mean, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. And I know so as a matter of fact. In those days, the sick and the lame weren't welcome. Not the temple. No, no, no. You're second class. You're losers. You're rejects. That's what society says to so many people today. You're losers. You'll never be anything. And listen, we believe that God says in Christ you can be something. Christ you can be something. So we want to be careful to guard our hearts against the theft that we mask as, as we say is, it really is, Selfishness. Selfishness. Because selfishness, this just came by the way in case, selfishness will lead to hatred. When it's all about us, we hate people who aren't like us. Now, that's a strong word, but let's see what Jesus said about that. Now we're on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in Matthew chapter 5. Here's what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. 
Jesus said, you've heard this. That, that if you kill someone, you're in danger of the judgment. But he ramps it up. See, by the way, those of you who think wrongly that Jesus watered down the word of God. Oh, no, no, no. He ramped it up. He ramped it up. Here's what he says. But I say to you. You've heard old. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. And you figure what that one means. Shall be in danger of the judgment. In fact, whoever. <laughs> this is one time I said. Holman standard. I'm not sure you got this one. And whoever says his brother Raka. Shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says you fool. Shall be in danger of hellfire. And these were all huge insults. In fact, it wasn't a Holman Christian. There's no translation. said, you rascal. You rascal. So these are all huge insults to people. And Jesus says this. You, know, you heard the Old Testament. If you take someone's life physically, you're in danger of judgment. I tell you this. When you're angry at your brother. When, when you're angry and you say, it's not my way, so I'm angry. You're in danger of judgment. Ooh. He says this, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, no. I probably will not shoot someone today. But in the last month, have I been angry at someone? Have you been angry with someone? Jesus says, when we let our heart go unhearted, guarded, that unguarded heart has anger. Has hatred. That's a hard word. And Jesus says, no, no. Listen, more important than you coming here and singing some songs, more important than you dropping a gift in the offering plate, more important than you coming at the end of the service and praying. If you if you know your brother's got something against you, and that's such an unusual, you think if you've got something against your brother, if you know your brother's got something against you, go to that person and make it right. Why? Because it's important to God. It's always been amazing. Now, Gene and I have never done this. Next week, we'll preach on my lying problem. But it amazes me how many families can fight and come to church. Now, we used to do this. We don't do it anymore. I don't. Rare, I guess we don't, do we? Of course, it helps we drive two separate cars. <laughs> but back when, back when we were younger, and I was in the Air particularly when I was in the Air Force still, and pastoring, and we had to drive 25 miles to my pastorate, and we had a two-year-old and three-year-old. <laughs> Don't you reckon we wish we had a dollar for every time I said, Would you please get those kids ready? I remember one time, I was in such a hurry. Where's Becca at? You probably don't remember this, Becca. But we had a car that had the, you know, remember, remember the cars that had the glass with no frame around it? I was in a really big hurry to go to church and be like, you know, Mr. Pastor Spiritual. 
that I quickly dunked Rebecca down and put her in the car seat, and the glass caught her eye right there. Man, did she have... I mean, it wasn't on purpose. It really wasn't. But I was in a hurry because I had to go be spiritual. I had to be the pastor. Now, how many times mommas and daddies, husbands and wives, do we allow this atmosphere to exist in our relationship with our spouse? How often? And I'll tell you why that's important. Because it leads into the destruction part. It leads into the adultery part. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you have a weakened relationship on one side or the other, it may be the husband, it may be the wife, but I'm telling you, we have a weakened relationship, things look better on the other side of the fence. And all of a sudden, Satan starts whispering. Remember we talked about that? Satan starts whispering in your ear and saying, you deserve better. You deserve more. The grass is better over there. And unguarded heart opens the door to destruction. I, it's, in, the, in Exodus 20, it was, you know, do not commit adultery. In John 10.10, 10, it was destruction. In Matthew chapter 5, it's adultery, but it's the same. I, I keep saying over and over again to myself and to us, Satan would want nothing more than to tear your family apart. And there's no greater, and you'll notice, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but did you notice there was an atomic bomb? Because the atomic bomb of life often is an affair. And it can rip and tear a family apart. And Satan the thief would like nothing more than to destroy your family. Jesus said... In Matthew chapter 5, here's what he said. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. And again, that's very clear, that's very straightforward. But Jesus ramps it up. And here's what he says. And, and guys, particularly guys, because we're visual usually. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What? What? Jesus is trying to show us in this destruction arena that, that Satan knows the power of a destroyed testimony through a, an affair. And he says, listen, listen. Okay, okay. I know what the Old Testament says. It says, do not commit the physical act. But Jesus says, I'm going to ramp it up. I'm going to take it up for you. If you find yourself with an unguarded heart lusting after what does not belong to you, you are heading for a nuclear explosion. You're heading for the atomic bomb. And Satan will do nothing but rejoice. This is so important. I, I wish I'd taken the time. But you had to see the news about the website that promotes affairs. And how everybody was upset that their name might be released. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Be so careful. The, the cost of a lustful heart, which leads eventually to the physical act, is beyond your wildest imagination. I toyed whether we would have time. And if you'll give me about two minutes, I just want to read some of these. I shared this about, what, about three weeks ago? That on this day that we would share 40 things that an, an affair would cost. And this was written by a seminary student for a class he did. 
Let me just read some of them. These are, these are ones for the people of God, I think. This guy was a believer. He had, had an affair. He was a young man. But he's saying, this is what I think it would cost me. Things like, um, I would suffer from the emotional consequences of guilt. I would spend countless hours repaying the, replaying the failure, failure. My wife's recovery would be long and painful. Our relationship would suffer a break in trust, fellowship, and intimacy. The reputation of my family would suffer loss. My sons would be deeply disappointed and bewildered. My grandchildren would not understand. My friends would be disappointed and would question my integrity. Um, I would suffer God's discipline. Satan would be thrilled at my failure. Satan would work overtime to be sure my shame never departed. Hello. My wife might divorce me. My children might never speak to me. Our mutual friends may shy away from us and break fellowship. I would bring emotional pain to the woman. I would bring reproach upon the woman. If the woman is married, her husband might attempt physical harm. He might divorce her. An unwanted child could be produced. Disease might resort. My business could fail because I couldn't be trusted. This same shame might be visited upon my family for four generations. See why you got to guard your heart? Do you see why... Because I'm telling you, when it all starts with, when Jesus mentioned, you turn my house into a den of thieves, and if that truly, if you can tie in with the selfishness I want, I deserve, you see how this bleeds right into that? I want and I deserve. There's a story, and I won't use the guy's name, although it's a public, what I, what I share with you today is public on the radio. Um, but a gentleman, some of us know, said he hated the fact that his father had multiple affairs. He hated it. And he swore he never would. And he found himself in an affair with his secretary. And I'm not sure he understood that himself. How he became what was hated. I'll tell you this. You know how it started? With an unguarded heart. Guard your heart because above all else, because out of it come the issues of life. So when you think about Exodus chapter 20 and you think about thou shalt not steal, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, when you think about those things, would you pause with me and say, am I selfish? Do I think it's my way or the highway? Do I think that she doesn't give enough into the relationship? Talking about husband and wives. Um, my children do not give enough. It's me, me, me. You need to examine your heart. Are you, are you, would you be to the point? Excuse me for having to look. Where because of your selfishness, you hate. You unforgive. You're bitter. If you think about those things, from selfishness to anger and bitterness, is there something that needs to happen in your heart? Because of the selfishness and because of the anger, are you thinking? Do you find yourself lusting after what is not yours? Because Jesus said, you know what? If your eye offends you, what did he say? Pluck it out. And, and by the way, 
I don't know if y'all know Greek or not. I don't know any Greek, but I can read a commentary. Do you know what Jesus really meant, what he really meant when he said, pluck your eye out? He meant, pluck your eye out. He said, rather than suffer the judgment of God, pluck your eye out. Gouge your eye out. He later said in Matthew 5, he said, so, so if your hand, Fendi, cut your hand off. You know what he meant when he said, cut your hand off? He meant, cut your hand off. Why? Because no amount of prevention is too much. Not when it comes to this stealing. Not when it comes to hatred. Not when it comes to a broken trust in a marriage. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. And a great start. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor and your closest neighbor as your wife or your husband. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because those three things, you can't love your neighbor and steal. You can't love your neighbor and hate. You can't love your neighbor and lust. You know what? You can't honestly love God either. Either. So our bottom line this morning, our takeaway is, God help me to guard my heart. I mean, do you understand again? Steve Irwin, the guy who knew all about animals, that day misjudged. And a, you know how deep a water he was in? Chest deep. Chest deep. How many times have you swum with man rays? Many but on that day with that man array, and I'm telling you, it can happen if we don't guard our hearts. Our hearts can go from selfish to bitterness to hatred and even to lust. Would you bow your heads there? I hope this made sense today. I hope this made sense today. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is on your trail. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy your character. But Jesus has come to give you abundant life. We call this our time of decision. My friend Brent, this, this is probably the kind of message where you may want to pray there. I don't know. You may want to come to the altar. I don't know. But Brent will be standing down front. If you'd like to know more about Jesus being the door that we talked about, the abundant life we talked about, uh, we'd be glad to share with you about today. If you want to know about how to join our fellowship, Brent can share with that today too. But maybe today is just, you know, it's kind of unusual, Dave. I noticed today for whatever reason, we, we sat for a lot of the worship. Just unusual. In fact, you know what I think we'll do? I think we'll stay seated now. I want to give you the total opportunity to talk with God in the privacy of your heart about what we share today. God, is my heart selfish? God, is my heart bitter? God, is my heart lustful? And here's the cool part. If you'll share with God, you won't find rejection. You'll find acceptance. He waits for you to turn from your sin and restore fellowship. God, thank you so very much for your word. And I, don't, I can only pray, Holy Spirit, 
that you have taken this and made it make sense. I'm asking you today to take the feeble attempt of a human speaker and tailor-make it for every heart in this room. To mold it and shape it for every heart in this room. Give us, Father, the ability to see in authenticity our hearts, our selfishness, our bitterness or anger, our lust. Help us, Father, because we need you today. And Jesus, I pray this in your name.